Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Bruised Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. I hope you are all doing well today. Earlier this week, we did a really fantastic Academy review podcast with Art DeRoche of The Athletic. So if you have not already listened, definitely go do that because I thought Art was fantastic and had some great insight into the happenings at Hale End. I, I know that I learned a lot probably speaking uh, for Ben and Luke here. I'm sure they learned probably less than me because they you know, know a little bit more about Halen than I do. But today we are previewing Arsenal's return from the international break to Goodison Park on Sunday to a place where we have often struggled. I'm sure we're going to touch on that. Uh, Everton is an opponent that I never really like to play. Uh, always seems like the matchup is one that we could just lose unexpectedly. Always seems like no matter... What form Everton are in, they'll always get a, a nice comeback game against us where they win without you know, having, having picked up any points in a long time. But with me today is the cheapest Luke you can find on Twitter, at Echelkoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'll give you that one. <laughs> and we have the finest Ben. Oh, you, you can find on Twitter, at Ben Browning 3. Benjamin. How are you? This is the most accurate one one we've ever had. <laughs> I think Luke still owes me about three beers from when we last went to the Arsenal. I, I oh, think you yeah. had about three times the amount I had. <laughs> yeah, well, we we won't we won't uh, we won't pick pick straw out of that one. <laughs> so, Luke, uh, let's let's jump right into things here. Coming off of a, a decently successful international break with a few of our players scoring or having some pretty impressive performances. A couple that stood out to me is Trossard had a couple of really nice goals or a really nice goal for Belgium. And also Odegaard scored a very uh, typical Odegaard goal with a first-time shot from the top of the box with his left foot. Kind of coming off the back of these international matchups and performances, whether good or bad, do you think that really has any bearing into what would happen in the weekend? I mean, well, firstly, how cool is it that we can now say a typical Erdegaard goal, right? Because it always feels to me like that ability to arrive in certain positions in around the box and kind of have that that technique, that telling touch is something that only like the best players really have developed. Obviously, Frank Lampard was like the master of getting in the box at the right time and scoring loads of goals. And now we're finally seeing... Uh, a midfielder Arsenal because it's been a long time since we've had anything close to what you could call a, a goal scoring midfielder and now Odegaard is comfortably putting up those numbers and uh, and we're seeing him pick up this season where he left off last season which is in scoring goals so that, firstly that's really cool um, also you know as you said Trossard Tommy Asu played really well against Germany as well I mean really if if you're going to pick out one player that you'd hope would have done well it would have been Havertz and it, that didn't really happen obviously I didn't see I know they beat France the other day. I know he didn't start the game. I uh, don't know if he came on, but... Came on and I... grabbed an assist for the winner. Did he? Okay, um, well then, i take back. I, I haven't seen you somebody that I was so... going to mention that had at least got on the score sheet. 
you with the assist, yeah. which is good. It could it could have been a two yard pass, you know, like a one, <laughs> one where you get an assist even though you pass it two yards and then someone scores from thirty yards. Could have been that. I haven't seen it yet. But um it did register as an assist for the winner against uh, William Salibus France. So it got better as international break. It started pretty badly. Okay. I think to be fair, at this point in time with the amount of noise that's going around habits, you, you take what you can get. In, in terms of it, it really has an effect. I'm not completely sure, to be honest. I think that sometimes when a team is playing well, and I guess really we you can't really say Arsenal have been playing well, but it, when a team is playing well, sometimes you don't want the international break, even if you go away and play really well, then because it, it breaks that rhythm. But I think in terms of you know Tomiyasu, we haven't really seen him start a game since he got sent off against Palace. Trossard has been struggling for minutes in general. So for them to do well, I think is definitely a like a plus point because it keeps them sharp. It gives them a bit of confidence coming back into Arsenal and possibly fighting for their place. But I do think that, you know, Arsenal is still in a process right now of finding that rhythm, finding that balance. So as a team overall, I still would rather the team be together. I think that for the most part, international breaks kind of like maybe have, have taken away that little bit of rhythm momentum that we've we've got from that United win. Uh but at the same time, it's good to see players doing well and hopefully they can bring it back into the game on, on uh, the weekend. Ben, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Eddie Nketiah and his experience in the England camp. Obviously, he got his first call up into the national team there and there's a lot of talk about whether or not he would actually see any playing time and he did not. Do you think that's... Boo. Yeah, piggybacking off of what Luke was talking about in terms of keeping yourself in the rhythm... How obviously it's a huge moment for him, Eddie, that you know he was called into the camp, and I think it was well deserved. But he didn't get any playing time. I'm I'm sh- curious to know. Obviously, we'll never know if he knew that going into it that he was unlikely to play, or he's played so well for Arsenal and been such a positive development so far this season in terms of how much better he has been than we all expected and anticipated at the beginning. I guess coming off of last year kind of kills a little bit of the momentum I think in his season uh, would you say that you would agree with that or kind of just the experience of being in with being with England is is enough to kind of be a positive well I, I think I think both can be true I think to an extent the experience of being with England is a reward for it's sort of a justification for why he stayed at Arsenal for so long. And, you know, he's he's always said, even when he's not playing, he's going to train really hard and work as if he was playing. Um, we've obviously all seen that all or nothing clip where he's talking to Lukonga and saying, you know, you're not the only one not playing. Basically, buckle down, buckle, buckle down and get on with things. Um, but I think also there is a negative. because As far as I'm aware, he can still um, declare for, is it Ghana? If he wanted to. Um, because yep. he hasn't made a uh, competitive appearance. So it, I think it does still leave a little bit of uncertainty. I mean, he might be certain in his own mind that he wants to play for England. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Eddie Nketiah was a player with the sort, sort of belief we've seen where he can say, you know what, I'm willing to take on Harry Kane for that number nine shirt, or I'm willing to take on Callum Wilson and Ivan Tony for that backup role. Um, but I do think that, it was, it was a bit of a mixed bag because his form is a bit his form well his um yeah his, his form and his 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 purple patch has sort of been stunted a little bit by the international breaking where he didn't get any minutes but also he was probably training he was training with England's best players so there's something to be taken away from that and I'm sure for him it was a very proud moment even though he didn't actually get onto the pitch and 
I think he'll probably look at it and say, well, I've been there now. I want to be there again next month for the next set of international break that, you know, we all hate, but play I mean, he'll, he'll be looking forward to that. I imagine is thinking, well, I don't want to lose my place. So I'm going to try even harder now to be in Gareth Southgate's plans for the October games. Luke, when we kind of, I, I spoke about it already that Eddie Nketiah has been a really positive development this season. And when, whenever Gabriel Jesus has been injured the, since uh, he signed for us last season, there's been a lot of, I guess, um, hesitation to be optimistic that Eddie can perform for extended periods. And we, you know, we saw that last season that he was really good until it kind of faded away. But I think it's pretty evident that he has added something, a, a new dimension to his game and a new physicality to his game this season. Do you think that given, you know, for Arsenal, and you kind of talked at the beginning that performances for the international uh, at the international level don't really make a bearing on Arteta. Do you think that there's a possibility that Eddie keeps his place in the, in the starting 11 over Gabriel Jesus, or is it just, if Gabby is fit, uh, Gabriel Jesus is fit, he's our starting number nine, which I kind of tend to believe that that's the case. I think it's closer than it ever has been. And that in itself, I think is quite a compliment to Eddie, but at the same point, I think that, I, I agree with the latter of what you said. It's if Gabriel Jesus is fit and firing, then he is in that team. And I think the thing that could help Eddie in the in the short term is that you know I think Gabriel Jesus played like fourteen minutes. I don't know if that includes extra time, but um, who scored's got it down as fourteen minutes in the game against Manchester United. In that game, admittedly, I thought he was fantastic when he came on and really helped uh, turn the tide of the game. Since then, he's he's gone away to Brazil, and I think he's got some minutes for Brazil. So, it's whether or not that is enough to to start a game because we're we're not really under much pressure to start Jesus because Eddie's been doing well. So, it wouldn't actually surprise me if, if Eddie gets the nods against Everton. But at the same time, you know we're gonna we'll go through it soon. Our record at, at Goodison is not good. It's uh it's something that we do need to turn around. And you know we've had a lot of games like this in the past where. We're having to turn around these records. And the, the problem for Eddie is, isn't that Eddie has been playing bad because he's been playing well. The the main problem is that Gabby Jesus is just so good. And I just think that if Arteta feels like you're getting 80% of Jesus's maximum, then he probably gets in that team. I'm going to stick with you, Luke, and, and kind of ask you a follow-up question. Do you think that it kind of regardless of what or how good Eddie has played that it's obviously evident that Gabriel Jesus is better and he is a better link up player. And given kind of where the left side has been so far this season, it's obviously incorporating a lot of new moving parts. We, we've had this caveat on all of Kai Havertz's performances and the midfield performances and saying, oh, well, you know, Gabriel Jesus isn't in there and everything's going to change when. Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus play is it kind of important to get that barometer with it's likely you know we're expected that Zinchenko is going to play and also having Gabriel Jesus to kind of have an accurate measurement of kind of where maybe the first four matches of the season you know the dysfunction of that left side really was not down to you know incorporating Kai Havertz but more so just not having Gabriel Jesus is that left biased forward or center forward, you know? 
I definitely think there's a there's a part to it is that to be honest because like Eddie helps the team in his own way like we know Eddie can score goals. We're kind of still yet to see it at the level that we should probably expect it at this, like in the Premier League for Arsenal with, with the talents that he has. But at the same time, as much as he helps and, you know, his running off the ball is fantastic. His pressing can be fantastic. Uh, I just think that as much as Eddie can help the team, he doesn't really help people individually. And I think when it, when it comes to Gabriel Jesus, you see him helping individuals. You can see his partnership with Martinelli. Like last season, Martin he played his best football next to Jesus. And I think, again, not to discredit Eddie, but I think, if anything, when Trossard went into the nine, who is maybe technically a little closer to um, a Jesus than Eddie is, you again saw kind of a little, like a, a spark in Martin's performances again. And it's just, it's, again, it's not to say that Eddie isn't a good player. It's just to say that, that Martin Eddie does better with, the, with that foil. And I think that like Kai Havertz could be a similar story. I think that, it could be a case of Jesus who can kind of magnetize players to him. Like Jesus will, like the ball goes in the air, it comes down and Jesus will somehow beat off a guy that's six foot two, six foot three, take the ball down in his chest. And then suddenly he's able to kind of take one, two, three touches. There's two or three players around him. He gets past all of them. And then suddenly then you have space for Havertz to run into. You'd have space for Martinelli to run into. It takes players potentially away from Saka. Like again, in the Manchester United game, you saw Jesus go out onto the right wing. And, and even then, like it feels like wherever he's on the pitch, he can get the ball and beat players. And that's such a, a ridiculously amazing attribute for someone to have when you're going to play against like deep blocks. So as I say, it's, it's not so much to say that Eddie hasn't been fantastic, but I just think it would take something really dramatic in the way of Eddie to to outweigh these kind of superstar attributes that Jesus has. I think I think for Eddie, he'd have to become a really, really regular goal scorer to even be in the conversation to start over Jesus when Jesus is 100% fit. So Ben, I think that one thing that we have not seen from Gabriel Jesus is him playing out on the right-hand side, which is something that we... He did quite a bit at Manchester City, kind of given how, you know, we have talked about how improved Eddie Nketiah has been. And now with this news that I'm sure we're going to talk about in a lot more detail with Bukayo Saka having an Achilles injury that has kind of been hanging around since last season. Do you think there is a possibility that we we start to see more of a Gabriel Jesus out on the right with Nketiah or... Uh, Trossard starting as the number nine and then kind of want to get your thoughts on this Bukayo Saka injury and kind of where your concern level is at for him yeah I think I think there's a great chance of seeing Jesus on the right maybe not necessarily um, from the start but I think against Manchester United he did a lot of really really good work from the right hand side when he came on and um, I think I think Arsenal Although we don't have a, like we, we've been saying for a long time, we don't have a backup for Bakaya Saka. We do have a lot of options that can play there. Um, I think this, the versatility in Arsenal squad was sort of shown off over over the international break where we had Tommy Assi playing at left back and left centre back and Havertz in midfield and up front. Um, Trossard at left eight and on the right wing and also Jesus coming on off the bench from Brazil. So I think when when you when you look at options that Arsenal have on the right wing, we could play Jesus there. We could play Trossard there potentially. Um, I'm not saying that's the best case, best case scenario, but you know Trossard could play there. Reese Nelson could play there. I think that if we were worried about Saka's injury, 
then we wouldn't be playing Saka because he's that important that we wouldn't risk losing him for six games for the sake of 60 minutes. Um, but I think that if if the club aren't too worried, then I, ca- I can't bring myself to be too worried because when I watch when when we watch Saka play, it's not like he's obviously limping or he will come out of a few challenges a bit gingerly. But beside that, he's you know pretty much the Saka we've known uh, for the last couple of seasons. So I think Jesus on the right makes a lot of sense because also, as Luke said, and Ketty has done a lot to warrant starting, even if he maybe doesn't win in a direct matchup with Jesus when both are fully fit. And also, it would give Saka a break, but at the same time, I don't think we need to rest Saka right now. We might have to rest him when you know we're playing twice a week, and he might not be able to play twice a week. But it's just a case of managing his minutes. I'd rather him start at Everton, play sixty-five minutes, and then come off than come on with us one nil down after you know forty-five, fifty minutes, and have to try and save the game. So I think my in my head, I like Jesus as an option off the right. I think it could work really well with Nketiah and others around him. He wouldn't have the same synergy that Saka and Erdogan seem to have necessarily. And I think that he'd be much less um, rigid. We know Saka often stays on the right, whereas Jesus sort of goes all over the place in hunt of the ball. But I think that he is an interesting option. I think we've got a lot of interesting options for later in the season. For now, I would say stick with what we're doing and stick with Saka even if he is nursing a little bit of an injury if we're confident that the injury won't become more serious then I don't see why we would uh, would change things for Everton where as you said before got a pretty horrible record Luke do you share that same level of he's pretty not concerned about uh, Bukayo Saka's injury as Ben or are you so I find myself being a little bit more concerned because it's pretty obvious that Bukayo Saka is going to play close to 90 minutes, 80 to 90 minutes every single week. And this is kind of the first time that we've seen him have a nagging injury where it, it's something that I find that you, you see these injuries that, you know, they hang around for a while and unless they are you know completely healed, then they eventually need some sort of, they either blow up, you know, and, and pop, or you need some sort of operation. And maybe that's just me kind of thinking about Smith Rowe and, and how he dealt with years and years of nagging injuries before finally needing an operation and, and other players having similar type of, I guess, injuries. And, and maybe that's just the realities of being a professional footballer that you're just always going to have be on the verge and the precipice of having a, an injury just given how much they have to play and, and how important players like Bukayo Saka are. But do you think that there's, I guess, any a larger level of concern and kind of more precautions should be taken given that, you know, if we miss Bukayo Saka for months, then, you know, our, our season is looking significantly different? I have concerns, and <laughs> I've had concerns for a while, to be honest but not really specifically about this injury, if that makes any sense at all. And it's only because most of the reporting I've, I've seen on this injury makes out like this is something that he had last season. So they said that it's like what an Achilles injury that he, that, that dogged him last season, supposedly. So the way I'm thinking about it is if he had this injury last season and then he's obviously um, had his holidays, come back for preseason where he'd have been managed, you know, 
as as manageably as as any club can during preseason, and it's something that is still bothering him, then it it tells me as someone that has absolutely no knowledge of uh, of physiotherapy or injury management in football, but in my very like layman's opinion, from maybe what I see other people say, it makes me feel like this is just maybe something we have to manage. Maybe this is something that he's going to have for a while, maybe a long while, and it's just something we have to manage. But I think that the fear I have of him is 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 down to like exactly what you said. He's going to be playing so much football last season. He played, I think he started 37 out of 38. And even in that, the game we didn't start, he came on in like the 60th minute. So this is obviously a player that is tantamount to, to what Arsenal are and want to do. And it's tough to really imagine any player getting ahead of him. I think that if you're looking in the team, and I've said this a lot, I don't see a lot of profiles in a team that can replicate what he does on that wing. I agree with Ben in the sense that if you do have to replace him, then you're looking at Jesus who can get the ball in that, in that area and beat players. And maybe even like you're looking at Nelson, if Nelson can ever get fit for a full season, then you're looking at someone like him. But I don't think that there's a player in the team that I would feel is trusted enough in that position for Arteta to say, oh, Bakari's a bit tired this week. We're going to, put this guy in instead and that has been my fear for a long time is that last season he played so many minutes and bearing in mind that last season we didn't go particularly far in cups we didn't go particularly far in the Europa League this season is you know Champions League football we're gonna have to be playing our best team twice a week for the majority of the time we're not, there's not gonna be a lot of room for rotation we're gonna have to find it and then also we're gonna to hope to go further in the FA Cup further in the Carabao Cup and in those games, when it gets kind of down to the nitty gritty of it, we need to put in our best players. So, I, like, I am scared that, like, this season, Saka's been playing minutes because I think last season he was on par with with any winger that played for City, and City won the treble. So, if if they're rotating their wingers like that, then it, it says to me that we need to do a better job of rotating our wingers as well. And I know Saka's a young guy. I know that he can run. I I, I hear all the stories about how early he, he looks after himself, how he's in on training on days where they're like they're meant to be having days off so obviously this is like someone that is a special mentality a special personality um obviously he's really really well looked after in in himself as well but i just think that these guys aren't machines (laughs) these are human beings and if we keep playing Saka the way that we were playing him last season with added football on considering the extra football we're going to have this season then i think we're almost waiting for him to break down but if I if I can just jump in um, by comparison, we're looking at Saka played. We we said thirty seven out of thirty eight and came on in the thirty eighth, right? He played a mm-hmm. hundred minutes less than Mo Salah. He played one hundred and fifty minutes or less than uh, Bruno Fernandes. So these are players of a similar ilk in terms of importance to their side. And Salah, you know, like for like in that Liverpool side. That I think there's just an expectation on these players that they have to play because they are the best players. And if you can get to three nil up and rest them, then great. But if, you know, if if a team sheet goes out and Saka's not on it, that's probably Saka and Saliba are the two players where you look at it and you go, oh, like there's going to be a bigger story here. Everyone else is sort of rotatable almost like if you see party instead of rice you think oh he's just being rested whereas if you see Saka or, or Saliba not on that team sheet you go oh there's something wrong here like one of them's got an injury I think every great team has these players that just play they play 38 games a season they play every minute of, every, of just about every competition they're rested every now and then but they are the players that you build great teams around and whether it be like Rodri at City or Fernandez at United or Salah at Liverpool 
that you just have to have these players because you can't have, you know, we see how much trouble we have already keeping everyone happy. Um, if we bought another right winger, like if we gone and got, for instance, like Kudus, uh, who went to West Ham, gone and got him, then that would have been another player where we'd be saying, oh, why is he not getting enough minutes? And we're already saying the same about uh, Smith Rowe. There's already Clamas for Vieira to play. We haven't even, like mentioned Nelson Trossard's not getting many minutes. I think it's just a case where you have to accept that some players are going to play a lot of football and Saka is one of them. And every, I mean, every player will play through injury. And if it's not bothering him that much, I think it's okay to say he's fine to start for now. And then we can take him off after an hour if we're 2-0 up at Everton or 3-0 up at Everton or whatever. Um, and go from there. I think that's just the way we have to play it because he is, as you say, largely irreplaceable in this side. And it is tough. And I think my position is and, and has been that he can play maybe the minutes he has been playing, as you say, like the the similar minutes to Bruno Fernandes and, and Salah, but it can't really go up. Like, I think I haven't got the minutes on hands, but when I was looking at the minutes um, from last season, like obviously he played pretty much every game for Arsenal up to the World Cup. And then he played pretty much every game at the World Cup. Like where, you know, like Haaland played a lot of minutes, but he got that period off. And I think that's a big factor. And then he comes back to us and he starts playing every game again. And you have to also take into account that Saka pretty much played the majority of the um, of the Europa League games that he was probably meant to be rested in. But we weren't really convincing enough in the Europa League last season to really give him that time off either. Um, obviously, yeah, Look, Salah is obviously, you know, he's a physical freak. He's... Um, probably one of the fittest footballers on the planet and and maybe Saka can be that as well but I just I, I just think it's a risk and um you know I I, I hear what you say Ben I, I, I agree to an extent do you, I think do, you think, do you think it's a bit of a risk or do you think we view it as more a risk because we know he's like come up through the academy and he's like the guy at Arsenal so that if there's an issue we sort of go <laughs> oh no not Saka he's he's like the guy we can't we can't lose him son. for any period of time exactly yeah. everyone's there's such there's a Arsenal uh, text to it, isn't it? Where yeah, we're so used su- to seeing such, what we love crumble before our eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's Yuri and Timber. We loved you while, while you were here. <laughs> that, that kind of vibe. But yeah, I think the connection between the fans and Saka is obviously very special. And it means that every fan is very protective of Saka. Um, but I do think that we have to let him play his football and hope that he doesn't get injured. And he will He will get injured. Like He's a, he's a footballer at the end of the day. So few footballers don't get injured that he will pick up injuries here and there and we'll have to manage without him for maybe three or four weeks of the season. I mean, hopefully not this season, Touchwood, but there will be a period where we have to play without him and we'll have to figure it out like we do with every other player. But I think that if we rest him in the fear of him getting injured, we sort of lose lose him as what he can do on the pitch from the start every game. You know, We can be 3-0 up after 20 minutes because he's turned his defender inside out four times and put it on a plate, you know? So let's switch gears a little bit and tour towards more uh, specific about uh, Everton. Goodison Park is a place that, like we've mentioned, is we have a pretty terrible record at um, Everton as an opponent play a style of football that's very anti-football. They you know do whatever they can to turn the match into a pushing and shoving match. And we saw last season in a similar type of matchup when we went to Newcastle that Arteta put out a very technical lineup and wanted to kind of go the complete polar opposite and didn't want to engage in you know, the physical battle. And after the match against Newcastle, he brought that up and said that if they tried to go toe-to-toe with them, 
physically, then they would lose and we would lose. And, and the only option there was to go extremely technical playing Jorginho in midfield. But this season we have uh, a player called Declan Rice, who I think can withstand that uh, the midfield physicality probably that better than any anyone else that you know we've ever had and probably more physical than most Premier League midfielders. Luke, do you think that going up against Everton, we're going to have a similar kind of uh, game plan that to just kind of not engage in that physical battle and kind of out technical them and, and, and trust that obviously Arsenal's technical ability is far superior to that as Everton Everton and you know we're going to score goals by sheer technical willpower I guess it could be the route to be fair like you know as you said just there we use that kind of mentality against Newcastle when it looked like they were potentially going to press off the bark and we were able to kind of stand up to that and play through it and when you have the luxury of these kind of special mentalities on the bench like Jorginho I think that there will be games where you know they they are the people you have to turn to I'm not completely sure what we're going to do for this one I think that you know <laughs> after the Fulham game I find myself quite apprehensive about these types of uh, these types of games because I think you know we saw Fulham getting roasted by Brentford's and not having great performances this season and then we thought we were going to put them to the sword and we didn't show up on the day so I think that you know Everton away like I've got some very sad stats here that I was just kind of looking up earlier like um, uh, Everton have won four out of the last five that we played them at Goodison Park we do, scored do you remember two the last scored. time we beat them at Goodison Park by the way it was the 5-2 I saw earlier it was, was that the one of Koeman was there do you remember who scored the goals it was Koeman yeah it was um, uh, I want to say Ramsey actually, got one Ramsey did get one yeah Alexis Alexis, yeah. This is how far back we're going. It was 2017, yeah. October 2017. There's got, there's got to be one really interesting one now that's not coming to mind. There's, it was Nacho Monreal, Meza Ozil, Lacazette, Ramsey and Sanchez. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Which is like, when you think about how many iterations of the Arsenal team we've had since then, that is a long, long time. <laughs> how is it though? Because they've been so bad for the entirety of that. <laughs> There's been no know. period of that Ever- that I've thought, you know, Everton are, you know, they're coming back a bit. It's just literally been a, a like a decline. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It's um, the, the worst bit about it all is we've drawn one of those games. Yeah, since 2017, we've drawn once at Goodison Park and lost the rest. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I was, you know, I've, I've got to look at here like we scored two and they've scored six in that time, and it just feels to me like. I don't understand it. And, you know, we've had the bogey teams over the years. Like, you know, whenever we used to go to Stoke, you always used to have that that kind of gulp in your throat which you think, you know, we're in for a game here. And to be fair to, to Everton, you know, at the moment they're, you know, they're struggling. But from what I'm hearing from, you know, the general discourse is that in a few of the games, I think a game against Sheffield United, like people saying actually played quite well. So it's a very up and down performance-wise. You know, they're sitting there one point out of four games. I am afraid of... Is it is it Beto? Beto? I saw the some highlights of him from their last game, and he just looks like the archetypal striker that ruins Arsenal's day. <laughs> and again, I'm knocking wood while I'm saying this, but it feels to me like um if we can keep him quiet and from looking at his record, he hasn't really ever been prolific. Um 
I do. I think we have to show our quality on this day. Like it feels like after beating Manchester United in the fashion we did, we've got to take that wave and take that momentum. And even though we've been away for a couple of weeks, try and get straight back at it because we need a statement win. We need a win that makes people really say that we're here to combat Manchester City. Because at the moment, there's, we're allowing people to have those question marks. We're allowing people to think, oh, you know, it's not really the Arsenal of last season and they got more football. They're not really going to be in and about it. We need to stamp something down and, and, and show people that we are going to be the team that changes Manchester City. And then, you know, further down the line, we need to be the team that shows that we're going to beat Manchester City. All right, Ben. So as we wrap things up here, let's get your prediction for the score and uh, who is going to score first. Benjamin. Sorry. The finest um, Ben. I've, I've... <laughs> gave him a nice one and he doesn't yeah, even reply. Yeah, the, uh, the finest Ben without the finest internet. So I missed that. But um, if your question was the prediction, who's going to score first? <laughs> I yes, think it was, sir. It's... Oh, what a guess. What a guess. <laughs> I think it's going to be a really, really tight game where Luke is not going to have any nails left and we're going to win 2-1. Um, and who's going to score first? Oh, that's a difficult one. You know what? I'm going to go with Eddie. I think I think Eddie's going to prove Luke wrong. He's going to get both goals. Oh, and, that's uh, really nice. We'll be... Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't just go... Luke, what's your prediction? Do you? Yeah, we're away from home, so we've got a better chance of keeping a clean sheet, weirdly enough. So I'm actually going to say 2-0 Arsenal, and I'm going to say Gabriel Martinelli. I'm also going to go 2-0. I, I think back. I think it's going to be very similar to the Crystal Palace on the opening day last year where we get like a, a goal off a corner and then like an own goal, something like that. So I'm going to go... With uh, Gabriel Jesus, he's going to score. Um, I think that's a uh, yeah. Jesus uh, is going to uh, score from a corner. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. I like I like this extra points if you get that one right, Justin. I think I, I like to be point. ultra specific. Uh, just <laughs> so if it happens, I can claim ultimate. Luke, Luke said Luke, you heard Luke saying that he uh, he beat six foot two defenders in the air, and you went, "Yep, that's my, that's going in my basket this week." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, you know what? He he is pretty good on the yeah." Um, I don't know. I just kind of choose something random. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday or Monday after we hopefully beat Everton. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at jfishafc. Thanks to Luke. You can find on Twitter at Echo Coon and Ben. You can find at Ben Browning three. We'll catch you guys later. Erdogan is joining in and he's seen Martinelli. Extraordinary. Set it for Saliba. Bukayo Saka beaten out by the race and touched in by Jesus. Bukayo Saka.